You're listening to the RUF at UT podcast. You're never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And you are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. For more information, go to www.utk.ruf.org. Alrighty, guys. If y'all want to follow along with me, um, we're going to be reading four verses. So follow along. Um, sweet, they're all behind you, sweet. Um, so first, we have Ephesians 1.11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Hebrews 13.20-21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. And then first Thessalonians four three. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. What we're doing this semester in RUF is we're doing something a little bit different. We normally just take books of the Bible and we kind of walk through them and see what the Bible has to say uh, to us. But this semester, we are looking at, at a topic a little bit more generally. Specifically, we're looking at our relationships. And we're going to look at our four fundamental relationships that we have. The four relationships you have are uh, how you relate to God, how you relate to yourself, how you relate to others, and how you relate to the world. And last week we began talking about how you relate to God, and I want to continue that for one more week this night uh, to talk about how we relate to this thing called God's will, this bizarro, mysterious, what is God's will? How do we relate to that? I feel like that's a common issue and question that I hear a lot from y'all. And to set this up, I want to tell you a quick story. Um, I heard this story from another RUF campus minister about one of his students. This is not you. This This is a different place. And this particular student helped lead worship in the, their band. And this particular student needed a new guitar. Or I guess the, his old guitar was falling apart and kind of needed a new one. The problem was he didn't have any money. And on top of that, not only did he have any money, he was like he had a $1,500 bill kind of on his credit card that he still needed to pay off. So he didn't have money. He was kind of in the hole. But he really wanted a new guitar, and so he didn't know what to do. So he went out to kind of the campus, like, quad area, and that, that particular campus, and he finds a bench, and he says, I'm going to pray about this, which is a good instinct. And he sits down, and he puts his hand, you know, head in his hands, and he's praying. He's like, God, what do you want me to do? I, I want to get a new guitar. It's for worship. This is for a good purpose, Right? What is your will? I don't have money. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I, I'm already in debt. So what, what, what do you want me to do, God? Finishes praying. Head is still in his hands. And he opens up his eyes. And between his feet is a guitar pick. And he thinks, this is a sign from God. How can this not be God telling me? Go buy a guitar. And so he goes, and he goes, and he buys a guitar, and he gets more in debt. Now, I tell you that story because I think this is a story of somebody that is genuinely wrestling with that question. God, what do you want me to do? What is your will for my life? 
What do you want me to do? And I think that's a really interesting question. God, what is your will? And how would you even know what it was? How do you know what God's will is for your life with making those kind of decisions? Because you are making a bazillion decisions. What should I major in? Who should I live with next year? Should I break up with the person that I'm dating? Should I marry the person that I'm dating? Uh, should I do grad school after I graduate? What should I do? What, with what job should I take after I graduate? Should I be an RUF intern after I graduate? And all of those questions are confusing except the last one, which is yes. <laughs> But you've got a million decisions that you're making, and if you're a religious person, or at least inclined to being somewhat spiritual, my guess is one of the questions on top of all those other questions is, God, what do you want? What do you want me to do? What's your will? So that's what I want to try to talk about tonight. I want to I look at what God's will is and how you kind of figure it out, and I want to try to do that by attempting to answer two questions. Question one. What is God's will? Question two, what's the deeper question? Those are the two questions I want to try to answer. What is God's will? And what's the deeper question? So let's begin. Let's talk about what is it. What do we even mean when we talk about God's will? Well, um, when the Bible talks about God's will, it's not as cut and dry as you might think. Um, this, this may sound a little teachy for the next few minutes, and so bear with me, but I think it's important because when the Bible talks about God's will, it, it, does, it talks about God's will in, in three different categories. And I think it's helpful for you to have these three categories in your head when you think about this particular question or this particular issue. So let's look at each of these three categories. The first aspect of God's will, you could say, is God's will of decree. God's will of decree. This is when the Bible talks about God's control over everything in the universe. So I included that verse, Ephesians 1, 11. It's at the top of your little handout. I'll read it again. It just says, In him we have, an, we, have an, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now don't freak out on the word predestined. We're not going to talk about that. Just focus on the end of that verse when it says... Uh, that he works all things according to the counsel of his will. And you think, okay, how many things is all things? Well, it's all things. He works all things according to the counsel of his will, meaning there is no rogue molecule in the universe that he does not have control over. Everything that happens, happens according to his will. Then you start thinking about that, and you're like, okay, but what about, like, horrible things? Well, the Bible says God's not the author of evil, and yet at the same time it says he works all things according to the counsel of his will. So I'll give you one more verse on this idea. Matthew 10, 29, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows, birds, sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? This is saying God even controls like the deaths of birds. One, one author put it this way. God micromanages the universe, and that's a good thing. There's not one rogue molecule. Everything that happens happens according to the counsel of his will. So that's the first way that the Bible talks about God's will, his will of decree. Here's the second aspect, God's will of desire. When the Bible talks about it in these terms, it's talking about God's intentions for how you should live your life. Think about like the Ten Commandments. 
God says, keep the Sabbath, and don't murder, and don't lie, and uh, don't cheat, or whatever. Like, these, these are God's intentions for how you should live your life. And I included uh, Hebrews 13.21, just moving along down the list. Uh, this is how this verse talks about it. It says, now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may God equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. This is talking about God's will of desire. God desires for you to live in a certain way. There's a pastor in uh, Los Angeles that I really like a lot. His name is Rankin Wilburn. I've quoted him a lot in here before. But he said that somebody from his church once went into his office and sat down with him and said, Hey, pastor, I need to tell you some things. Um, I am cheating on my wife committing adultery, but don't freak out. It's okay. God told me it's cool. It's okay. And Rankin, the pastor, responded in this way. He said, you may have heard a voice, but I can tell you with 100% certainty that it was not God's. And his point is, God has already revealed his will on that subject. He says in the Bible, do not commit adultery. So it's not like he's changed his mind and made a special exception just for you. That is God's will of desire. Here's how I desire for you to live. Now, before we look at number three, let me ask you, let's do a pop quiz. Rhetorical pop quiz. I'm going to ask you a question. You don't have to answer out loud. In fact, please don't answer out loud. Can you be outside of God's will? Well, yes and no. It kind of depends on what you mean by God's will. If you're talking about God's will of decree, no, you can't be outside of God's will. Everything that happens, happens according to his will. But if you're talking about God's will of desire, then yes, you can be outside of God's will. God does not will for you to hate your roommate. God does not want you to cheat in your class. That's outside of God's will. Make sense? Okay, let's keep going. Number three. Number three is what you could say God's will of direction. And this is the one, this is when it comes to this particular subject, this is the one that we really want to know. God, what is your direct, what do you want me to do with my life? Who do you want me to live with next year? What internship should I take uh, this summer? Should I be a camp counselor or should I go work back home? You're asking the question, God, what is your specific individual plan for my life? So look at, look at the next one, Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. This is saying what God has revealed in his word is yours. It belongs to you, but God has not chosen to reveal everything to you. Some things are secret. Some things are just for him. God has chosen to reveal some things. He's chosen to keep back some things. In fact, that's what the Bible is. The Bible is God's revealed will for all of humanity. And anything outside of the Bible, he has chosen not to reveal. It's the secret stuff. But he's revealed a lot. The whole Bible. His revealed will for you. So here's what this means. Does God have an individual plan for your life? Yes. But no, God does not expect you to figure out what it is. Yes, God has an individual plan for your life, but 
He does not expect you to try to figure out what that individual plan is. He hasn't revealed it. It's one of the secret things that's not in the Bible. You're not going to find in the Bible who you're, going to, who you're supposed to live with next year. You're not going to find in the Bible what you're supposed to do this summer. Those are the secret things he has not chosen to reveal. So let's say that you've got to make a decision. Uh, this summer, should I take the internship in Atlanta or should I take the internship in Memphis? And there would be some Christians that would look at you and say, there's only really one right answer. That uh, one of those is... God's will for you. And if you choose the right one, then you're in the, quote, center of God's will, and there will be blessing and vitality and life and fruitfulness for you if you choose that one. And if you choose the wrong one, you're outside of God's will, and it's not going to be great. And so, as a result, I mean, think about it. If that's how God expects us to relate to his plan, think about what that does. First of all, um, I mean, the, the pressure that puts on you, I mean, good grief, you better choose wisely. If you don't, then you are like severely shooting yourself in the foot. So much anxiety, so much pressure, but also th- when we think that that's how God's relating to us, think about what we're saying about God. We are saying that he is saying that the one thing he wants from you, he is hiding from you. And he's expecting you to read his mind. It's like your whole life is a secret code and he expects you to decode it with clues and hints that he might drop along the way. And so this is why, in my opinion, Christians come up with some weird ways to try to figure out what God's will is. God says, here's my will for you. Everything else has not been revealed to you. And we're like, yeah, but I'm going to try to figure it out anyway. And so then Christians start getting really weird, in my opinion. So this is why Christians start doing the signs thing. That's why we, you know, we make big decisions based off of guitar picks on the ground. Like you, you step back and you think about that, and you're like, that's a weird way to make a decision. But it's, it's us trying to figure out, where are the clues and the signs God's given to me? It's like you know, you, you're walking down Ped Walkway, and you see somebody with an RUF shirt on, and you're like, I think I'm going to be an RUF leader because of the T-shirt. Because that's the only person with an RUF t-shirt on this campus. And like God's given me this sign. And so we, we make decisions. This is why we do the signs thing. This is why we do the peace thing. You know about this, right? Christians make decisions. This is a weird insider Christian thing. If you're not a Christian, this is just going to be weird. But Christians, um, Christians make decisions based off of feelings of peace. Of, it's this sense of calmness of, I have a peace about this. And so that's God telling me. I should do this. Uh, this is why Christians do the like the the flop the Bible on the on the table and like pick a random verse and hope that maybe maybe that'll tell me what I'm supposed to do. So I'm sure this happened to some of you a couple of weeks ago when you were going through rush and you're like, oh, I don't know, Kyo, eighty pi, ao pi, what should I do? And you throw the Bible down and you flip to. Judges chapter 1, verse 6, which reads, And the king named Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him and caught him, and they cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And you're like, now I'm very confused. <laughs> but the, these are, uh, here's my point, here's my point. My point is, yes, God has a specific individual plan for your life, 
but he has not chosen to reveal it to you. And therefore, he does not expect you to try to figure it out. And we start getting really weird when we say, well, I'm going to try to figure it out anyway. Do you know how many times in the Bible it says you should try to figure out what God's plan is for you by signs or by feelings of peace or by looking up random Bible verses? Do you know how many times the Bible tells you you should figure out God's will that way? Zero. The secret things belong to the Lord, but what he has revealed belongs to you, which means this. Well, this is really fascinating. Bruce Waltke is a New Testament scholar, and he wrote a book about finding God's will. And he, and he had this really interesting uh, statistic or this, this data in, in his book. He said 80% of ancient Near Eastern archaeological discoveries, you know, when, when they go out and they discover, they're pulling up documents of ancient, pagan, non-Christian, spiritual documents, 80% of them are about how to figure out what the God's, wills, the God's will is. It's about pagan rituals of divining and figuring out what does God want us to do. Depending on how you date it, Christianity, you could say, is about 2,000 years old. And Christians did not start writing and talking about discovering God's will until the 1950s. You've got 1,950 years of church history where Christians, this was not an issue for Christians, which means trying to figure out God's will for your individual life is not a Bible thing. It's a new thing. It's a culture, it's an American thing. It's actually a pagan thing, if you think about it. The Bible says, um, God has a plan for your life, but he does not expect for you to try to figure out what it is. He says, I don't want you to try to figure out tomorrow. I want you to trust me today. I don't want you to try to figure out the future. I want you to trust me now. And that's really good news because that means, good grief, thank you. I don't have to try to read God's God's mind and decode every little detail of my life to try to figure out what God's secret little plan for my life is. You are so much more freer than that. In fact, if you want to know God's will, I can tell you God's will. I can tell you it without even having to find random Bible verses. Just look at 1 Thessalonians 4.3. It's right there. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. There it is. The Bible just told you. You want to know what God's will is? It's for you to be sanctified, which, is, which, is, which means it's God's will for you to be transformed in such a way that you begin to look more like Jesus. It's God's will for you to put off the old self and put on the new. It's God's will for you to repent regularly. It's God's will for you to love God and for you to love your neighbor. And guess what? Here's the really good news. You can do that if you're single or if you're married. You can do that if you live with your RUF friends next year or if you live with your sorority friends next year. You can do that if you do the internship in Memphis or if you do the internship in Atlanta. You can do that if you're a camp counselor next year or if you take the job next summer. You're free. That is God's will for your life. It's a lot simpler than you think, but as we're going to see... It's also a lot harder. Because I don't think that's the deeper question. I don't think that's the real question. I don't think we have an information problem. A lot of us say, you know, how do we find God's will? What is God's will? He just told you. There it is. God's will is your sanctification. We don't have an information problem. We've got a different kind of problem. So what's the, this is number two. What's the deeper question? 
I think the deeper question about this discussion is not so much what is God's will, but the deeper question is, do you even want it? And what I mean by that is, do you trust that God's will for your life is the pathway to the good life? Like, can't, like how would you know, how would you trust that his plan for your life is better than yours? So um, let's think about our will for a second. Let's just think about what we want in life. Thought experiment. Let's just say that you inherited bukus of family money. And you meet somebody special and you all get married the summer after you graduate. And it's awesome for a couple of years. But then your spouse begins to realize that they can't get their hands on that family money. And so they leave you. Now, how would you feel? Uh, you would feel violated. You would feel used. You would feel like, I'm just, I'm just an object. Like, you, did, you didn't love me for me. You just loved me for what you could get out of me. Do you realize that's how most people relate to God? Because I've heard um, people say, well, you know, I used to believe in God. I used to go to church, but it didn't work for me. And what they mean by that is he didn't make me like feel good and there were bad things that happened and he prevented good things from happening. It's like God had this blessing bank somewhere and he would never let me get my hands on it. So I'm, I'm kind of done. And what that shows is you, you didn't marry God for God, you married him for his money. You married him for his blessings. This is why a lot of the time people that aren't very religious or spiritual all of a sudden get very religious and spiritual when crisis hits. They lose comfort, life gets out of control, and they're like, okay, God, I'll, you know, I'll jump through the hoops, I'll do whatever you want. It's like, it's like you're hiring God as a handyman. I'll, I'll pay you and whatever you want. I'll pray, I'll go to church, whatever, whatever. Just fix my life. And what you're saying is, God, I want you to work your magic and give me back the comfortable life that I want. I don't want you. I just want what you can do for me. In all of these examples, what is our will? What do we want? We want comfort. We want power. We want pleasure. We want entertainment. We want security. We want approval. There's all these things that we want. These are our, this is our will. And it doesn't matter if you're religious or irreligious, you can use God as a way to just enforce your will. I don't really want what God's will is for my life. I just want to use him to do what I want. And you see this a lot, I see this a lot, in the way that people break up with each other. Uh, So you have one person in the relationship say to the other person, God is telling me that we should break up. What they're saying is, this is, it, is God's, it is God's will for us to break up. Which if you step back and think about it, it's kind of funny. Because you're saying, not only are you getting dumped by me. <laughs> you're getting dumped by God. Now, I'm, oh, I'm sure I'm stepping on toes here. And I'm going to try to tread, tread gently. Um, but could, could you be open to the possibility that you're using God to just baptize and rubber stamp your agenda? Because I think if you were brutally honest, what you really mean is, 
hey, I don't want to date you anymore, but I don't want to tell you that because that sounds mean, and I want you to think I'm a nice person. So I'm going to say that this is God's decision. That way I'm off the hook. And bonus points, I sound kind of spiritual in the process. <laughs> but you see what we're doing. We're, we're taking God and we're using him to baptize our will, our agenda. This is what I want. And so what I want you to see is when it comes to God's will versus my will, those things don't always sync up. There's normally a big collision. What I want in life, my will, typically goes against what God's will is. You know what? You know what God's will is? God says, okay, you want to know my will? Here's my will. I want you to love the poor. I don't want you to have sex outside of marriage. I don't want you to get drunk on alcohol. I want you to forgive your enemies. Those are all verses in the Bible. And we read those and we're like, yeah, I don't want to do any of that. That goes against what I want to do. It cuts against the grain because to do God's will, if we're going to do God's will means, well, then that cuts into my comfort, my security, my approval, everything I want in life. If I follow God's will, this might mean I don't get as far ahead in my career. This might mean I don't have as much fun in college as the other people do. This might mean I look really weird. It might really suck. So why... Would I ever prioritize God's will over mine? How can you get to the place in your life, in your heart of hearts, where you actually say, God, thy will be done, not my will be done? How how could you ever get to a point where you actually prioritize his will over yours? Well, hold that question for a second, and I want to take you back to the summer. You remember one of the biggest news stories of the summer was... Uh, the soccer team that was trapped in the cave in Thailand. If, if, uh, if you're unfamiliar with the story, I'll bring it up to speed really quick. There, there was a middle school soccer team of 12 kids. These are 11 to 16-year-old kids. And their soccer coach, they ride bikes from their village in Thailand, in Thailand and they go to uh, the, this cave, which is where they, they would... This was a normal thing for them to do. They brought flashlights, they brought food, they brought water, and they went into this cave to kind of hang out as a soccer team. And while they were in this cave, they didn't realize this, but there was this giant monsoon that blew over, and it was just dumping truckloads of water onto the ground, which then began rushing into the mouth of this cave. And so before they even knew it, they were trapped. And the water level is rising, and so they're having to go deeper and deeper back into the cave to avoid the rising water. And they're going back further and further through this this dark maze in the cave as the water is rising and rising and rising. And they eventually find this little arch of sand where they just all kind of huddle up as the water kind of stops. And they're deep in a cave, pitch black dark, you know, three hours in, their batteries burn out of their flashlights, and they've got food and water for like one day. And they're trapped. Well, very shortly after, uh, they start sending in divers and Navy SEAL people to go swimming through these. This water is, is freezing cold. Three of the divers that are, that are searching for this team are, are hospitalized because uh, their, their oxygen tanks went low. One diver that was searching for them was killed in the process of trying to find them. And about nine or ten days into trying to find these boys, they eventually, one of the divers 
pops up his head and he sees, flashes his light on, here's this huddled group of just emaciated boys in this soccer coach. Without any water, without any food, they've, they've been surviving by licking the water off of the walls. And so now they've got this problem. They're like, okay, we found them, but how do we get them out? Because these boys couldn't swim. So the plan was they were going to put, um, they were going to wrap them in like that, those blankets that you get after a marathon, like the, the, the warm blankets. They were going to put, they put them in these flexible, like cocoon-like stretchers on their backs, and they strapped oxygen masks to their faces. And the divers were going to just carry them out and swim through. Now, there was one stretch of this escape, uh, of this tunnel, that was a mile long underwater the entire time. It took two hours to get through that just one little stretch. Imagine what that would be like from the perspective of one of these kids. You're on your back. You're in freeze. You're underwater for two hours, pitch black dark, breathing water out of like the, the, the machine. That is horrifying. That freaks me out even to imagine that. What compelled these boys to say, I am going to give up all control and just put my life in your hands and trust that you're going to lead me out? Because that's scary. What, what compelled them to say, you know, being in the cave, sitting here on the sand is bad, but at least this feels safe. Doing that sounds horrifying. Why in the world? That sounds insane. Why would I do that? What compelled them? My guess is what tipped them over the edge was the fact that these divers literally gave up their lives in order to get to them. They didn't just risk their lives to find these boys. They lost their lives to find these boys. They demonstrated with their very life, I intend for your good. You can trust me. This is going to be hard. This is going to be scary. This is going to be crazy. But trust me, I intend for your good. 18 days later, all the boys are out. What would compel you to prioritize God's will over your own? I think it's when you would look at him and say, you came for me. You came to rescue me. You sent your son Jesus to not just risk his life on my behalf, but he gave up his life on my behalf. And what that does is that says, if God loves you so much that he would give up his son, that means you can trust him. He intends for your good. If he was willing to lose it all in order to get you, then you can say, okay, I can trust your will for my life is for my good, even when it sounds insane, even when it's scary, even when I don't really want to do it, but I will trust you because I believe that you love me and you've come to rescue me and you intend for my good. So here's the last thing. I'll end with this. There, there's a um, fourth century church father named St. Augustine who summarized all of this very well. And he said this, Love God and do what you want. What's God's will for your life? It's to love God and to love your neighbor. Love him, seek him, trust him today, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Put, the, put other people's needs above your own. Love God, and for everything else, you have the responsibility and you have the freedom 
to do what you want. So you can take the internship in Charlotte or Memphis or Maryville. You can choose to live with your RUF friends or your sorority friends. You have the freedom and the responsibility to love God and do what you want. And what that means is you can have the confidence that whatever you do and wherever you do it, you are walking in God's will. And that's good news. That is liberating, freeing good news. Let me pray. Father, I pray that um, you would help us to see that you love us, that you rescue us, that you came for us. And I pray that that would compel us to trust you. That even when you ask us to do things that cut against our will and cut against our agenda, that we would learn to say, thy will be done, not my will be done. You know better than me. You're wiser than me. You're, you're, you're more loving than me. You're smarter than me. So, Father, give us faith to trust you. Give, give us courage to follow you. And help us to walk in your ways. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.